I want to ask everyone to, uh, here in a moment, I want to pause and pray. You know, our country is at a very, very difficult crossroads. Uh, not so much the, the election, the, the COVID virus that's affecting us. Uh, numbers have increased rapidly in the last few weeks. And you know, when it gets close to home is when you really begin uh, to pay attention to it. A dear, dear friend of mine uh, from uh, the Northside Church, where I served for 28 years, is at the Hendersonville Hospital right now and uh, is in serious condition with the virus. And uh, his family is urging us to pray for him. We have others that are affected in our own church, uh, whether members of our church family as well as extended members of our church family. And so uh, I want to ask all of us, do what we can do. Uh, practice social distancing, wear a mask when appropriate. Let's do our best to fight through this and, and ask God to bless us. And, and let me say a word about, uh, I, I think a mistake sometimes we make. I think sometimes people think, well, just trust God. Trust God, don't worry about social distance, don't worry about wearing a mask, don't worry about, you know, all the things that we're being told. Just trust God. God will get us through this. You know, trusting God is important. Faith is very important. But faith has got to always be combined with wisdom. You know, when David went out to face Goliath, David didn't turn to King Saul and say, you know, I'm going to go out there in faith in the Most High God. I'm going to go out there in just faith in, in the God of Israel, and God will somehow defeat this giant for me. No, that's not what he did. He went out in faith, but he also went out with a sling and some stones. And so I think God expects us to have faith in him, but at the same time uh, display wisdom the way we live our lives in this world, and I hope we will do that. And so if you would, let's pause and go to God in prayer. Father, you know what's all going on more than any of us do. You know those who are struggling even right now, Father, with this virus. Those who have lost loved ones and are struggling because of sorrow. And Father, we pray for your intervention. We thank you for the potential vaccination, Father, that may be just around the corner. And for that, we say thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. But in the meantime, Father, give us all wisdom. Give us wisdom on how to love one another. And, and Father, to show that love in the way, Father, we, we live our lives. And Father, we pray especially for those of the household of faith those who are in the hospital right now, my friend who's suffering right now. Father, so many others who, who are suffering. Father, some who are suffering because they've lost dear loved ones. Father, please, please, please bless them all. And now bless us, Father, as we spend this time talking about your church, your kingdom upon this earth and our role in it. And we pray, Father, that we will take it very, very seriously. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that we read together a few moments ago. And, and I began last week by talking about what was going on in the church there at Rome at that time. 
you go back to the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, and you see a little background to what Paul's going to be writing about in his Roman letter. This is in, in the middle of the second missionary journey. Okay, it will be the third missionary journey near the end of it when he writes Romans. But notice the text here. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy. Notice the verse there. Who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Now, I brought this up last week, that what had happened as Christianity began to spread in the synagogues in Rome, it caused rioting to occur. All you got to do is read the book of Romans. Anytime Paul went to a Jewish synagogue, you would have some Jews who would convert to being followers of Jesus, some who would resist, and oftentimes violently. And that evidently had occurred in Rome to such a degree that the emperor Claudius had said, enough, I want all Jews out of Rome. And so he expelled all of them, both non-believing as well as believing Jews. Priscilla and Aquila is among them. What it did was left in Rome a purely Gentile church. We're Gentiles. We're non-Jewish people. And for the first time in the early church, you had a church that all it had was Gentiles. And this went on, as best we can guess, about five years. Until Claudius died, Nero came to the throne, and Nero lifted uh, the ban, and the Jews were allowed to go back to Italy. Well, that ban was lifted near the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Priscilla and Aquila, they had headed back to Rome because Paul greets them in his epistle to the Romans. But as these Jews are coming back into Rome, it created automatic conflict in the churches there. I mean, you had these house churches that had been literally purely Gentile for five years. And now the Jewish Christians are coming back, people like Priscilla and Aquila, good Jewish people, and yet, as they came back, it is, at least it seems to be, that they automatically wanted to assume the roles they had when they had been forced to leave. In other words, if this Jewish man had been an elder in the church, he wanted to return to being an elder. Here's someone who was an evangelist. He wanted to return to being an evangelist. You know, the fellowship they had, they wanted it to go back to the way it was when it was primarily a Jewish church, not a pure Gentile church. And what that did was create enormous conflict. The Gentiles basically said, we've done fine without you. Why do you want to come back in and take over again? And then the Jewish Christians, on the other hand, are saying, why, why are y'all being so resistant to us coming back into the fellowship? You know, we, we're Jews. We've been raised with the law. We know uh, the covenants of God. We're in a better position to lead than you are. And man, they were just knocking heads with one another. So Paul writes this letter to them. Watch one of the things he says. This is Romans 14. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? 
Or why do you treat them with contempt? And you need to pay attention to that language. Have you ever been treated with contempt? Can I tell you that's the one thing that pushes my button? I can put up with a lot of things. But when someone treats me as if I'm an ignorant, redneck, uneducated person from Mississippi, and I know some of you are thinking, well, it's close, isn't it? Well, it may be close. But when someone treats you with just this sense of contempt, I mean, they look at you and they just go, you don't have a clue, do you? I mean, you don't have the foggiest idea of what's going on, do you? Boy, you want to talk about conflict. Do you know that contempt is the number one indicator of divorce? You show me a couple where they have gotten so angry at one another that one is showing the other, or in some cases both, are showing contempt for one another. The odds of divorce are just astronomical. Contempt is that dangerous. And here's Paul saying, how dare you show contempt for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he reminds them, don't you know you're going to stand before God's judgment seat and give an answer for that? In Romans chapter 11, Paul will spend three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, three chapters that we don't study a lot. But he'll spend those three chapters trying to say to the Gentiles, you need your Jewish brethren. And the reason you need them is that you're grafted into a Jewish root. You see, Christianity is anchored in ancient Judaism. And you can't just break free from Judaism and say, we'll just be Christians. We don't need the Jews. He says, you can't do that. Look at the language here. If some of the branches have been broken off, talking about unbelieving Jews, and you, though a wild olive shoot, that's us, that's us Gentiles, he said, you've been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. The point he's trying to make is, we owe the Jews as Gentiles. We're, we're not a Gentile church. We're part of the covenant people of God. We are spiritual Israel. And so he says, notice verse 18, do not consider yourself to be superior to these other branches. And that's what a lot of the Gentiles were doing. And so Paul steps in. Last week, and we read this just a moment ago, Paul begins by saying, all of you, every one of you, you present your bodies as living sacrifices and don't conform to the pattern of this world, but you be transformed so that you can know what God's will for your life is. That's where he launches into it. And then he immediately goes to verse 3. Watch what he says. But For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Two things in particular. Notice, don't get high on yourselves. You see, most church problems, and I've seen this now for, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 60, almost 62 years old. I'll be 62 first of this next year. I've seen a lot of church splits over the years. I've heard, a, you know, a lot about it. I've had a lot of friends who have been involved in them. And in almost every instant, almost all church splits are not about doctrine. 
It's not like we're splitting over the issue of baptism. It's not like for some reason all at once we don't believe repentance is important. Most splits occur when someone in a church thinks more highly of themselves than they ought. And the next thing you know, you got conflict. And that was what was going on at, at Rome. And so Paul says, you've got to think with sober judgment. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says the exact same thing. Look at the language here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Can I tell you, that's hard. That's hard for me. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, but Lord, you know, I mean, I've trained all my life to preach the Word of God. Surely, surely, what I think is more important than what others think. And God's going, oh, no, not at all. You don't look at just your interest. You look out for the interest of others. And that's what he's pounding home here in the church at, at, at Rome. And he says, in accordance with the faith. That word faith there, I think, I think a better translation of that should be trust. God gives to every Christian things that he entrusts to us. And he says, we've got to be people who, who take what God's giving to, given to us and use it for the well-being of all people. Not ourselves, but for the body of Christ at large. Matthew 25, 14. Same language in that parable of, of the money, of the talents. Notice, who called his servants and entrusted them. That's the meaning of that word there, faith. God has entrusted us. And so he goes on and he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. Now we read that and go, okay, I get it. We form one body. <laughs> it's not that easy. When you're Jews sitting over here with your people, or you're a Gentile sitting over here with your people, and you don't want to intermingle with one another, all at once this text means something very different. You see, one of the biggest challenges to the church today is American individualism and consumerism. I mean, this is undermining the church's foundation in ways that most of us don't realize. I mean, this concept of consumerism. I mean, this idea that, you know what, if I don't like this church, there's a dozen more churches I can go to. And that's the attitude of a lot of people. I love this picture here. All Faiths Church Mall. I mean, you come here and you can worship any way you want to. And if you don't like this one, just move next door to the other one. And isn't that the way it's almost become? See, I would rather live in a community with one church, one, where people have to learn to get along with one another than to live in a church with five, live in a community with five churches. And I'm not talking about based on size. I'm talking about based on what I want as opposed to what you might want. You see, when you have to learn to get along with one another, you learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another, Paul says, as Christ has accepted you. There's the model. And I got to tell you that when I think about how Jesus has accepted me, you think I'm not going to cut you some slack? 
I mean, you know, Jesus says, judge in the same manner you want to be judged. And I don't know about you, but I hope God goes gracious with me. Which means I need to be gracious towards you. And so our text for the day here in chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, that's our passage for this week. We have different gifts, Paul says. We, we are different. According to the grace, that word grace there carries with it the same idea as faith did earlier. According to the trust that God has given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Notice again this very first verse. We're going to be different. But it's that difference that makes the body complete. That's what we have to realize. Listen, I wished I could sing like Blake Parker. I do. Man, I want to tell you, I have told Blake this repeatedly. I have, I have worshipped in many churches, in Churches of Christ, down through the years. I love a cappella singing. We're blessed with the best. I'm just telling you. And, and yes, I look at his gift and think, man, Lord, what was it that you put me in the back of the line when it came to singing? And i got to tell you all that sometimes I feel sorry for Blake because I love to sing. I sing loud, and I sing off-key sometimes. And Blake's over here trying to lead the church, and I know that my notes all, that, that go off are just ringing in his ear, and he's going, ooh, you know. But God blessed us with someone named Blake. We all have different gifts. And so he goes through this list. And by the way, this list is not an exhausted list. It's not meant to say every one of us has to have one of these gifts. The first one is prophecy. Prophecy was a gift unique to the first century church. You see, early church didn't have the New Testament. So how did they know what Jesus taught during his lifetime? It was a gift of the Spirit. It was called the gift of prophecy. And until the Scriptures were written down, the church depended on it. But then you've got other gifts. Serving, teaching, encouragement. Many of you ever thought about encouragement as a spiritual gift? I want to tell you, it's a huge spiritual gift. So many in this church over the last several months have written to me in June notes saying, thank you, keep up the good work, we appreciate you. Things that oftentimes I'll go out to the mailbox and I'll open it up and there at just the right time is this encouragement that I so desperately at times need. I mean, what a gift. Giving. We gave a while ago. I mean, Lee led us and said, you know, God's blessed us. Let's give back to him. That's a gift. And some people have the ability to give more than others. And if that's the case, give generously, Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 4, you have another set of gifts. Leadership gifts. You see, in the first century church, there were these special gifts that had to do with first century Christianity. Uh, I know some of my preaching friends would disagree with me on this, but I think gifts like prophecy and miracles and speaking in tongues were unique to the first century. And then you have these other gifts, gifts like generosity, giving, encouragement, teaching. These are, are ordinary. I, I know that sounds strange because in so many ways they're not because God's the one giving it. 
But then you have what's called leadership gifts. Here we see apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. The word pastor there literally means elder, shepherd, uh, and, and teachers. Leadership gifts that blesses the church. Now, let me pause just for a moment. Because when, when we get to the area of leadership, sometimes we think, but what if we get a bad one? We are. We will. Churches sometimes get bad preachers. Uh, I hope that's not the case right now, but sometimes they do. They sometimes get bad elders or bad deacons or bad teachers. I mean, you, you turn over to Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with the Ephesian elders, and I want you to notice something he says about the elders. He says, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. See, the Holy Spirit's the one that gives the gifts. He gives some people with the gift of singing. He gives some with the gift of leading. But you know what? Even the Holy Spirit knows that sometimes, even though he appoints people to roles, some people take the roles and go the wrong direction. Look at what he says here. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock, even from your own number. What's he saying? He's saying even among these elders who the Holy Spirit appointed, some will rise up and try to pull off followers for themselves. You see, just because the Holy Spirit is involved in giftedness doesn't mean that we sometimes don't abuse it. And we just need to understand that. That's why it's so important to keep encouraging people to use their giftedness. Notice what Peter says. Above all, love each other deeply. Why begin there, Peter? Because that's how you overcome the disagreements we have, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether in our world today it's black, white, Hispanic, whatever it may be, rich, poor, love is what bridges, as Lee mentioned this morning, the divide. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then look at verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We read that and go, what? Why would you grumble? You'd grumble if you knew that you had to invite someone to your house and you've never had anybody like that in your house before. You see, for a Jew like Priscilla and Aquila to invite a Gentile to come across that door frame into their house was to... to overcome a tradition that had been a part of Judaism literally for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here's Peter saying, but you've got to learn how to do it. And then he ends this way by saying, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Can I tell you that's what Hendersonville Church of Christ needs? People who love each other deeply who are willing to accept one another as Jesus has accepted us. And then step up to the plate, whatever the gift is, no matter how big or how small, use it to God's glory. And in so doing, we'll become the people that God wants us to be. I love the way he ends. Notice, if anyone speaks, let them speak as one who speaks the very words of God. That's why I take preaching so seriously. I'm not spouting my words. I'm 
trying to be a representative of God. And the same is true of anybody who preaches or teaches in our Bible classes. You speak because you speak for God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. And then look at the reason. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, that's all I want to see. Is this church being a blessing to this community that then causes people to praise God who we serve. Again, the invitation is always available. If you have any need, if you'd like to be baptized, you know, I'd be happy to do it. We have other ministers who would be happy to do it. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here for you. Please call upon us. Uh, Mike Ryan is here, one of our shepherds. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Just come and let us know as soon as services are over. At this time, I want to ask everyone to stand as I lead us in prayer, and then Blake will come and lead us in one last song. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for, through your Spirit, gifting us each individually, differently, and yet making us all a part of the one indispensable body of Christ. So, Father, help us to take seriously what you've called us to be and to do. And help us, Father, to use those gifts not for our own glory, but to glorify you in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name.